Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the TF Podcast, where we discuss technology and finance, and that usually revolves around uh, Bitcoin, crypto, and some blockchain. Uh, please make sure that you're subscribed to us on our various podcast channels, as well as on our social, um, at TF Blockchain, and I'm at JG Product. Uh, I'm excited for my next guest, uh, Joe Vazani. Uh, he is the founder and CEO of Lunar Crush. They're doing some interesting things when it comes to how uh, one analyzes a cryptocurrency uh, based off of uh, what people are saying. And so we'll let him talk a little bit more about that. And Joe, I'd love if you could just introduce yourself to everybody. For sure. And thank you so much for having me on. I appreciate it, man. Um, so yeah, Lunar Crush, social listening for crypto um, is is what we call it. And you know, when we we first started... God, I started, I got introduced to crypto by, you know, from my co-founder back in 2015. Um, and he was in it for a couple of years before me. And it was, it was all about, you know, how do you really assess the value of these, of these cryptos? At the time it was Bitcoin, but it was, you know, as other stuff started to come online, we were looking at it and it's like, you know, there are no earnings reports. There's no management. There's nothing. It's like, it's all about supply and demand. What are people saying? Um, and so when we tried to find new, new things to invest in and when, you know, altcoins kind of came on the on the scene it was like you know you're looking at your twitter feed you're looking at reddit you're looking at some news articles that come out here and there and some of them are biased and some of them are not and so we wanted to see the whole picture of what the market was saying um, from a social perspective we thought that that mm -hmm. was really that was our thesis was that that would drive price and that would drive the market and so we started aggregating crypto specific data from across the web and you know we have a we kind of see ourselves as a UX and, and you know, product company and we wanted to visualize all of the data. We now have over 250 million pieces of data in our database wow. that's specific social data. And so we just wanted to visualize it and help ourselves. And, you know, here we are now helping, you know, investors make better decisions. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. Before we go into that, you know, there's similar things in that vein outside of crypto markets, right? I guess measuring sentiment or analysis or things like analyzing what people think right but I, i've definitely never seen that in a crypto function besides you guys yeah it's not an easy it's not an easy thing to, to figure out you know when we first started getting into it it was like you know we found different services out there that they, they were like hey we're crypto news you know and so we pulled that in and they basically would just call all of reddit news and so you didn't really get you know a good feel for you know our is the sentiment up is there more than there was last week yesterday the, the year before what what does this look like is the market growing is the community around each of these projects growing um and so like i was kind of mentioning it's this works more for crypto the sentiment there's more supply and demand there's more people where in the kind of traditional marketplace it's you know it's not like it's like you know i think we were kind of mentioning before like you know, with JP Morgan, no one's going to go and say, hey, JP Morgan was wrecked today, R-E-K-T, or hey, Bank of America is about to moon, you know, or like, you know, they just don't say these things. And so, you know, we wanted to look at the crypto specific data and it's like, there's a lot of it. And this is what kind of drives our market versus, you know, you know, it's put out earnings guidance. And if they beat those earnings guidance over time, usually that's what pushes a, you know, an equity or a stock up over time. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So give us a kind of an understanding of that. How does that work? So, you know, you are looking for those types of words, you probably input some of some crypto vernacular, I guess, into your, uh, your uh, processing, uh, and how you think about it? How, how, how would that go? How would one go about using that with your product? 
Yeah, so we're looking at keywords, you know, we're looking at tickers, you know, we're looking at URLs, we're looking at anything that has any sort of crypto specific mention in it. Mm -hmm. um, and as we pull that data down, we're organizing it, we're cleaning it, we use some machine learning to identify, like I was saying, sentiment. Um, and then we break it down by project, you know, so there's, you know, over 1500 projects that we have on the site now that have some social data, have price data, where people can go and I identify whether or not is there a community behind this project? Are they growing? Are they shrinking? Um, are there more people talking about it? Are there more people bullish on it or bearish on it? Um, and what does that look like? Maybe who are some of the people that are influential on that project? Can I follow them on Twitter? Can I mm -hmm. learn a little bit more? And so we wanted to break it down by each project because there are so many kind of niche communities within crypto. Yeah, yeah, definitely. There, there are tons of niche communities and factions and, uh, yeah, very you know, tribal. yeah, very, very tribal. Exactly. And so, you know, I guess with that, when you're with the way the algorithm works is, you know, do you take those sort of things into account? Right. So it's, I'm assuming like, like there's probably some level of formula, like based off how, um, some, how many followers someone has that might mean more than if, you know, a new account creates it? Do you, do you take those sort of things into account? We do when identifying who is influential over a project or not. So we have like a little influencers list and you can see who's the most influential. And it really, com that comes down to a couple things. It comes down to engagement. Um, so if you're actually getting engagement on your account and you're, and you're posting, your frequency is, is relatively high, then you're going to probably rank a lot higher. If it's, mm -hmm. We don't, we don't do it just by kind of impression data because there's some, you know, there's some really large accounts like a Reuters or, you know, a Forbes. And if they tweet or post on, you know, a news URL that mentions Bitcoin, they're going to, they're going to get a lot of impressions, but it doesn't mean that they had a lot of engagement and influence on that. Yeah. Um, and so that's the type of thing that we're looking at is engagement. As far as just kind of pure data that comes onto lunarcrush.com by project, I mean, we're just pulling everything in so if you're you know we do look for spam so we're looking for things like you know does it have a million tickers on it is it been you know is it been tweeted out or is it been you know upvoted by a bunch of kind of ghost accounts that don't have a lot of followers per se like some of those things we you know it's pretty it's pretty actually pretty easy to identify spam at this point um but sure. some of the others are a little tougher yeah yeah so, you know, yesterday was the uh, Bitcoin having uh, the Super Bowl of sorts uh, in Bitcoin. And so there's definitely a lot of attention, right? You know, was, I'm sure Bitcoin having probably was, I, I know it was trending or some version of that was trending. So I'm, I'm, I'm guessing that that was really leading up. I'm curious, like, what did you learn, uh, you know, throughout these last couple of weeks as, as we kind of started leading towards that? Yeah, we actually, we put out a nice infographic um, that talked a little bit about the having and, um, you know, the amount of mentions that were actually out there. And it was all the way up until yesterday, it was just going crazy. And it was even to a point where it was trending, you know, on Twitter, you know, above, you know, some of the other major news stories that have been going on, you know, it's, it's very tough, you know, it's been a little bit easier now, but it was always very tough for anyone to break through, you know, coronavirus, um, you know, trending topics and news yeah. and everything. Um, but we saw we saw a huge increase. I mean, we're we're running the numbers back even further um, to take another look because we want to look at it having over having and see how kind of the engagement has pulled up. But that's some that data is pretty old and um, a little bit tougher to get to. But we want to do some more of that stuff. But we put a cool little infographic out that really kind of showed that there's more people talking about it, even though 
you know, up leading up to it, there was still a lot of engagement and impressions around the, the, just the term Bitcoin and having. There's more people, more contributors now talking about it than there were before. Yeah. So we just released a new metric called social contributors. And that's basically, you know, is it a unique person coming online, kind of like a unique wallet almost. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm curious, who's, who's your customer? Like, who are you, who, are, who is this all for? Right. And like, is it for just the average consumer that's kind of just overall interested in it? Or is there, I'm assuming there'd be some, you know, bigger type companies that would be really interested in this kind of data for decision-making processes, but I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's a little bit of both right now. I mean, we have, so we have a developer portal where, you know, we have an API that, you know, we have exchanges using it. We've got, you know, a WebSocket that has real-time data that we built out and that's more for kind of a high frequency trader or hedge fund that might want, you know, social data kind of coming in quickly because we can really start to tease out some of the data like more quickly than, you know, it's like, so for instance, there's a good example. It was a, it was a while ago. I think it was uh, bad. It was basic attention token. Um, and, you know, they had a release or a browser release or something big kind of come out and they released it. You know, it wasn't a big press release. It was, I think something small. And it's like when the community starts talking about something really rapidly, you're going to see things like social engagement just skyrocket. Mm-hmm. And I'm talking, I'm talking, you know, maybe there's an average of 5,000 engagements. That means like, upvotes, retweets, you know, comments, likes on, you know, a, a mid-size altcoin, just that's kind of like the, the norm. And then if something big happens, that'll shoot to like millions of engagements in one hour. And so it's almost like an alert or a trigger that notifies you that there's going to be some happening. Yeah. And so we've got some sort of big news, something, and you're going to, it's going to sniff it out a little bit fast than you know you'd probably see in the news or it hits the wire or something like that and so we have people that use that data to trade um but then we also you know we we have a great just regular investor community we have people that can come on to lunar crush for free and see the data see the social analytics that are out there and so we want to serve both markets because we built this mainly for just the regular investor to protect people against kind of scammy stuff people that Mm -hmm. don't have communities i didn't you know you don't want people putting money it doesn't help the, the community and the crypto space in general. If you've got a bunch of people investing in what their friend's friend told them to invest in, lose all right. their money like 2017 and say, I'm never coming back to that. Right. You wanted to protect people against that. Yeah, no, that's, that's awesome. I mean, it makes a lot of sense and uh, definitely needed and interested. And, you know, from what, from what you're saying, it sounds like, yeah, as there's more attention towards something, um, and there's essentially, I guess, a spike in that act social activity. There most likely is some reflection in price, whether that be up or down. Right, exactly. Whether it be up or down is a good thing you said right there, because sometimes it's it's something that's bearish, something bad happened, and mm-hmm. so it's just, you know, it's like everyone talks about, you know, as far as community goes, you need to look at like GitHub commits and all of these other things that are out there you know, wallets, wallet size, who's in the money, who's out of the money on chain analytics, you know, as this alternative data comes online for crypto, social data is just something that as a, as an investor, you just need to be paying attention to. Yeah. Yeah. Especially too, because, um, you know, the authenticity of the community itself, you know, I remember back in 2017, 
everybody felt that they had to have these big telegram communities, if you remember, right? right? And like, yeah. so like investors would actually ask people how big their telegram community was, right? And like, which was the stupidest thing. And so people would just get bots, you know, get these telegram bots or like these, you know, fit, you know, people would go from like zero telegram group to 10,000 in a couple of days uh, over nothing. So it's super interesting. You know, I'd love to touch on that element, you know, from the bots and the, um, you know, call it like fake accounts and those sort of things. Like, you know, first, you know, there's obvious reasons as to why people kind of think about doing that in the sense of like the vanity metric or whatever. But, um, you know, what, I guess, what are your thoughts overall and how people use that? And then how easy is it to sniff out now versus how it might have been a few years ago? With regards to like something like a telegram or just in general? Just in general, just like, yeah, bots and, and you know, because people accuse others of bots often. And like, usually you can see like low levels of engagement. They might have high uh, followers or high, um, you know, uh, you know, amounts of, of contacts or whatever, but then the engagement is really low. So that might be an indicator of a bot or, you know, I had someone one time retweeted me and, or sorry, retweeted something that they were in with me. Um, and all of a sudden he gets, I don't know, something like 40 retweets. I was like, holy shit, like this guy has a ton of folks. And then I would click on him and none of them have faces. And it's like banned accounts. And it was like Twitter picked up on it right away. I was like, oh, oh great. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, great. So it's just, I don't know. I think it's, I think it's really interesting overall. And, and everything has, has obviously gotten a lot easier or not shouldn't say easier. Uh, more sophisticated and sniffing out some of that sort of thing. Yeah, it has. And it's like you were saying, it's it's a little bit easier to fake kind of volume, just unique data. So like unique posts on something, but it's almost impossible to fake engagement mm -hmm. on like a pure level of, hey, this got retweets and comments and it's by all of these and all these legitimate accounts because it's very, and it's also very simple to figure out for us like if we see a URL and we, cause we'll go to that URL, we'll go to it, we'll spider it, we'll look at the whole thing. And so it's like, when we see a URL that's being tweeted out a ton, um, and then we can also see the accounts associated with that and whether or not they actually have, like you're saying, a lot of followers or a lot of engagement, you can actually, what you can actually end up doing is scoring um, and categorizing each account um, and give that person potentially a higher level of competency that they're a legitimate contributor to you know the crypto sphere or not mm -hmm. um, and so we have a night we have kind of a unique way of kind of parsing out whether it's real or whether it's not and I think that's kind of what our community likes about us is that you know when they land on our site for the most part on, on a lot of the big projects we've kind of sniffed that out and we help them really parse through spam or not spam but yeah. there's still I would say that you know, if you were going to say, hey, is spam higher now versus when it was back in 2017, I would say there's still plenty of spam. <laughs> um, and that's just a way that people think works for them, you know, and it's a way that they try to get their message out and they create accounts. And, you know, it's like things like Twitter, they can't, you know, you can't just stop people from making accounts. You just have to kind of parse out the, the community once they once it gets live. Yeah, totally. So, so you're a founder and you know, one of the things I always love to just talk about when, when I get founders on the show is just the found being a founder. And so, um, you know, I'm curious, have you guys, uh, raised capital for this venture or is it self-funded and, you know, just tell us kind of more like that founder journey element. Yeah, no, I mean, we started like my co-founder and I kind of started kicking this around even back in like 2015, we were just like, we need to do something. 
what is it going to be? You know, once we, once we found Bitcoin, just like a lot of other people, it's like this intersection between technology and finance and decentralization. And it's, there's just so much there that it was like, I need, we need to do something. And so, you know, like a lot of people, we were those people were, you know, everyone's like, Hey man, what do I buy? What do I do? What's Tron? You know? And it's like, you want to give advice and help them. And we're like, well, should we do some sort of like consulting thing around this? And we're both working full time and I'd worked for financial advisors before. And I was like, yeah, I don't think we should be, there's no financial advice. There's no consulting thing. I said, let's build something in this space. And that's how you become an expert. You know, let's build a product. Let's build, let's be a part of it. Um, And so that's kind of where the idea of Lunar Crush came from is our just dealing with what we were going through. And, you know, we brought on a couple other co-founders and started building, you know, building it out and said, you know, can we even do this? And once we figured out that we could, um, it was probably April of last year of 2019 um, when we launched kind of the first beta. Um, when we launched it at the Crypto Invest Summit here in Los Angeles and had just a little booth. And, um, you know, at the time, uh, the, the guys that ran that conference, um, Alon Gorn and, and Joseph Holm, they actually, um, who they're now our investors, and I can kind of get to that, but they just gave, they, you know, they said, hey, come on by, check out, you know, the, the space and everything else. So we got a booth there and that was really kind of the launching party of, of Lunar Crush. And, um, you know, we self-funded and built everything up until um, July of last year. We actually joined a Techstars accelerator. Oh, cool. Um, yeah, so Techstars is, you know, I, I would say it's like Y Combinator, Techstars are the kind of the two. Yeah. YC which, is very focused and SF and it's kind of the premiere, but Techstars is very global. Which, which one, which city were you at for Techstars? Uh, Los Angeles. Cool. Yeah. Nice. So we did that from July till about October of 2019. Amazing experience. I actually, this is the second time I've gone through a Techstars accelerator. I did one back in 2014. Um, so I think there's only a handful of people that have done that, but it, yeah. it speaks kind of volumes on going through it twice. Um, and then, I'm, yeah, I'm go cur- for it. I was gonna say, I'm curious what the investor outlook or thoughts have been on what you're doing, right? Just because of uh, call it um, lack of awareness by most invest, you know, traditional investors, of course, when it comes to something right. cryptocurrency, like they might be afraid of it or, you know, think it's not real or whatever. What, what did you experience, um, from, from on that aspect of things when talking with investors and you can probably even parse it out like your, your quote unquote traditional investor versus, you know, someone like, um, Alon. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and you, you're definitely right. There are more traditional and it's funny that we call it like, you know, someone could be investing in, you know, AR and some of the craziest stuff, but I still kind of bunched them into traditional investor as well. Yeah. My spreadsheet. And it was, you know, I, I found out very early on that if you're raising money in the crypto space, it's like, you just, you can't even speak to someone that has not invested into it before. Right. Uh, you know, maybe from an angel perspective, yes, there are some people, but you know, some of these angels, a lot of angel investors come in based on their relationship with you or the relationship with the founder and they believe in you and your ability, especially at the pre-seed to seed, seed, uh, seed stage, probably more pre-seed. But um, yeah, we started talking to a lot of traditional investors and it was very quickly where we like, hey, this isn't going to work because you can go in there and, you know, like we're all in this community and we've been in it for 10 years and they're shooting satellites into space to keep the you know Bitcoin network going. And people are, would be like, hey, I thought this was like dead. Like I thought like, you know, it was just going away or it wasn't happening. And so, you know, my co-founder and I always kind of joke like, you know, 
like billionaires buying in, coming into the space. Like I thought this was just going away. Like I thought it's not going to happen anymore. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but it's not, a, you know, I couldn't, at the beginning, I was a little frustrated with it because I was like, how are you guys missing this? Um, but then it's, you find out very quickly with, with venture capitalists that they have a thesis, they have an investment criteria, they've, you know, already basically sold off to all of their LPs what that is and, and the market that they're going to go after and how they want to invest. And so they aren't going to just break that, you know, because you're a, you know, you you've got a crypto company and you've got like a decent, some decent traction. So right. I think it's like learning that and finding the people in this space that make sense for you. And it, it's all, it's all about, you know, finding good, smart people that understand founders. Like I, it's, it would be very difficult for me at this point, I think to, at, they, at least at this stage, um, take money from a VC and have someone on my board that, you know, hasn't run or attempted to run a company before and started from scratch because they're so far removed from like the day-to-day totally. of what you're going through. Totally. So, you know, it's like the VCs have so many knocks on us as, as founders and what they can do. That's like, you know, we get one back and the one back that we get is like, Hey, if you haven't founded something before, like I just can't take money from you. Yeah, no, I don't, I don't blame that sentiment at all because especially, yeah, if they're going to have a board seat and telling you how to run the company, I, I totally see that point of view, you know, it, unless it's like they have incredible domain expertise in what you're doing. Right. And that's like a different scenario, right. Cause they're adding that type okay. of value, right. Like they, you know, if you're a, an e-commerce tech company and like they founded Shopify or like they were on Shopify's board or something like that or whatever, you know? So I, I totally get that. It's interesting because, um, you know, as fa- you know, you know, I'm a founder myself and a lot of times I think that when people go through that first time of funding, a, sorry, founding a company or talking with investors, it's like you, you kind of learn it as you go, like you're kind of talking about, right? And you, at first you might think that everything that the investor says is the right thing. And then you start to realize like, wait a second, there are, you know, frankly, different strokes for different folks. You know, there, there pe- people do have different theses like you, 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 you explained there. So, um, yeah, I think that's like the biggest mistake most founders make at first is not knowing who they should actually be going after and then like listening for the no quicker than, than what they thought, right? Like they might try to convince that, that investor that just doesn't have it be a part of the thesis. And that's like, yeah, you're, 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 uh, you're not going to be successful on that. I would say as for a founder, if you get into a meeting and you can tell it's not going well, you don't need to convince that person. Right. Um, That's why I I kind of like the, like the zoom economy that we're in now, because you don't have to waste, you know, drive, especially around the Los Angeles area. It's like driving 40 minutes parking. The VC makes you pay $28 for parking. You know, it's like, you're like, dude, I'm on, you know, this is like self-funded shoestring. Um, you know, I, one, a, a good one that came through is talking to a, a couple of younger people that were advising and trying to help us out. And my favorite one was like sales playbook. I don't know if you've heard about that one where it's like, no. it was all like, Hey, you guys need a sales playbook. You need, you need to have this identified, figure out how you're going to sell this. And that's how you're going to repeat it. And that's how you're going to sell it. Um, and then I had this kind of old salty founder, um, you know, talk to me and he was just like, he's like sales playbook. He's like, if you know how to fucking sell it, you'd be selling it. It was just like, you're figuring it out. You don't know yet. Like all you yeah. know is you're testing the waters and you're talking to different people and you're trying to do it. And so, you know, sometimes it's also good to talk to, talk to folks who are a little bit older that have been through it and maybe even like close to retirement age that have gone through some stuff because they yeah. kind of come back to 
down to earth of like, man, it's tough. Like it's not easy. And there's personal stuff and there's work stuff and there's people involved. And it's like every day is the best day and the worst day of your life over and over and over and over again. And if you're not prepared for that, then you might not, this isn't for you type thing. So totally. And what's interesting about that is that, you know, your the way you um, kind of act throughout your daily life changes a little bit when you have that realization. And I guess what I mean by that is that, you know, if you're a founder and you're working your ass off and you're trying to figure something out, it's hard to maintain relationships probably with people that don't do that, right? Or like aren't in that mindset. And it's not nothing against someone that isn't in that mindset. It's just that, like, as you're saying, it's like, you're so focused. It's, you know, you want to spend time talking to someone else that's gone through that same thing or, you know, understands that. So I totally get what you're saying there. Um, I think it's quickness. It's, it's, a lot of times people think it's going to happen a lot faster than it actually happens. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the example I like to give is something like Uber, where it's like, they were probably thinking about that in 2006, 07, like they launched somewhere in 08, 09. I don't remember when, and it's in San Francisco a little bit, but it was like, you know, people like my dad weren't talking about it to like 2013, you know? Mm-hmm. And so even though they had some nice early traction in those first years, it didn't really become this big thing like five years and that was really more like seven when they started thinking about it and it's like that's a long ass journey and so it's like people don't realize where it's like you can't be full bore and this is what i kind of learned the second time over going and doing this the first time was you just have to live every day and you have to be calm and you just have to know that there's going to be good days and there's going to be bad days and Mm -hmm. just try to string those string more good days together than there are bad days but you can't get so worked up where it's like, oh my God, is this going to work? Is it not going to work? What's going to happen? Because you're just going to, you're just going to get depressed. You're going to blow it up, blow yourself out and not be able to sustain that longer term effort that it's going to need to get to the final, final place that you're looking for. Right. Yeah. Overnight success stories don't happen overnight. <laughs> well, I'm just curious, what, what was your, what was the first company that you took through Techstars? Like what was um, the, or what was the space? Yeah, it was a uh, personal safety. So is a personal safety app. Um, I was more like a junior founder in that company um, with a couple other, other teammates. And we went through the Kansas city powered by sprint tech stars accelerator 24. Um, and it was, it was, it was a very simple, simple design. It was hold your finger down on the screen of the phone. If someone grabs you, attacks you, something happens, um, you know, your finger is obviously going to come off. Like, and you remember those like blue lights on campuses and stuff like you're not yeah. getting there. So it was like the finger comes off um, immediately, you know, loud noise, flashing light happens. And then it was uh, kind of geofenced and, you know, it contacted the closest public safety answering point. So the police would know exactly where you are in your latitude and longitude. So it's kind of like a home alarm um, yeah. for wherever. So, nice. um, yeah, no, great, great product. Yeah, very cool. So I'm curious, are, is your background kind of on the product side of things too? Um, it's kind of been all over the place, actually. I mean, yeah. I learned I, think I learned a lot about product in that first startup. So it was, you know, but I came out of school with like a, in 08 with like a finance degree. You know, I came mm-hmm. out when shit was hitting the fan and I wanted to go work for Lehman Brothers and I was going to go do investment <laughs> banking. That's what everyone did. And, you know, very quickly found out that, you know, they don't exist anymore. And um, I needed to figure something else out. And I kind of, I actually found advertising uh, kind of randomly. There was a financial analyst position at a decent, like, you know, big agency in Chicago that that's where I'm from. 
um, went to work in like the general ledger side of finance, like, you know, proverbial, almost like mail room. Yeah. Uh, but I actually ended up really loving that industry. It's a super fun, exciting industry and learned about clients and everything else. And um, just was always very just inquisitive and curious and just always tried to rotate around and do different things and learned a little bit about production and, and digital production and um, radio commercials, TV commercials. And as a finance person, I was just like a different type of person in that environment. And I yeah. helped out and, um, so I did that, did some sales, you know, yeah. I worked for a, like a building manufacturer company called Owens Corning. I learned a ton about pricing and channel management and sales management. And it was a great job where I got to travel California, Nevada, Hawaii. Um, nice. So I did a lot along the way and then started the other startup and off to the races. I just, I've always been an entrepreneur and I was just, I needed to do something and needed to do something on my own. And so it was always like, what, what can I do? What can I build? And I really didn't even almost care what it was until um, you know, I found crypto and then it was like, this is it. Yeah. That's awesome. So, you know, being that you came out of school in tw uh, 2008, wanting to be a finance, wanting to work for Lehman's, I'm assuming you have some interesting, you know, points of view when it comes to that, you know, financial crisis to what's been recently happening. Um, overall love kind of just like your outlook on, um, you know, call it March 12th. And then, you know, where we're at now, like, is, is everything all inflated? Is this, is this, is this fake? Are we, what, what is this, what is this, what is the, uh, what does the Twitter data tell us or, you know, about, <laughs> about what's happening in the world right now financially? Yeah. I think the weird thing about this one is a lot of people understand that it's inflated. A lot mm -hmm. of people know that. And so it's like, obviously it's inflated because the government has printed so much money and they've said, Hey, we're going to backstop any company. We're going to buy any bond. We're going we're to start buying bond ETFs even because we, this is no one's fault and we're going to back up the economy, you know, and there's a piece to that, that I a hundred percent agree with that. It's nobody's fault. Right. And the other piece though, is that We've just, we've come up with this pattern now and it, you know, it started back in 2008. It took them a little bit longer to get that bailout package done. Um, and they were, they were, you know, that's a completely different crisis. Like my God, like I, I can go into that for hours about, yeah. you know, the, the mortgage market and what people were selling people. I mean, I, in, even in high school, I was working at a mortgage office and I remember when someone came out and they're like, Hey, we got this new product. It's called the CISA loan you know, stated income, stated asset. You just have to yeah. say what you have and say what you make. And um, even then at like 16 or 17, I was like, this can't be right. Like there's something wrong. Like I can just get, like go online and like tap up the like maximum credit card thing and say I and make, you know, a million dollars a year. And now I have a $50,000 credit line for literally no reason. Um, so that was a, I think a little bit, it was a different crisis. I think it's still TBD how deep this one will cut versus that one. I think when it comes to people's homes and there's a lot of value locked up in that and there's a lot of psychological value that's locked up in that as well versus something that's happening today where people really probably haven't lost as much of their housing yet because they've allowed people to kind of move those payments out and they've said they're gonna backstop stuff. But mm -hmm. I, have a, I have a feeling that this potentially could get much, much worse. Um, going into the next couple of months, because if they, I mean, how much longer can we print our way out of it? I mean, are we just going to say we're going to do it forever? You know, what if, what if an entire sector, like what if transportation, what if five airlines go out of business and the other airlines don't see an uptick for years? Like, what do you do? 
Like, I don't yeah. think we have, we have enough data, I think, to understand that yet. But I think the airlines are in, in going to be in a weird spot because the majority of their um, revenue is coming from these, these business travelers. And now that you and I are doing this, a lot of people are going to be doing this. Not as many people are probably going to be paying five to $8,000 for international tickets or 800 to $5,000 for cross. Right. Know, yeah. We've discovered that we can survive in this context and that sure we might want to shake hands, but we can still, you know, get past most of the, the elements just like this, right? Like why would you pay that much money to travel and, and not just the money, but the time and the energy and so forth. I, yeah. I, I totally know what you mean on that. Yeah. It'll be interesting. Um, yeah, it's funny. You know, it's funny. I've been joking about with the airlines themselves. It's like you know, so they get a bailout, but people are still paying for bags here <laughs> or overbag fees or things like that, right? Um, and 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 you know, jokes aside, is that you know, I know like there's been actual people that work for the airline industries that like have been you know laid off or have you know some of that mon money that was intended to go to either like help supporting or supplementing the wages has and things like that so yeah i think you're totally right it's definitely interesting definitely different than 20 2008 um for good and bad reasons and you know i think the other thing that's really interesting and kind of uh scary is the unemployment numbers right when you start thinking about that we're we're going to be over 30 percent this week likely um, and so now we're, we're getting, we're approaching close to 10% of the, of the country being unemployed and it'll probably be much more than that. Some, some people have said it could be as high as like 25% unemployment, which is insane. And, uh, that means people buy less. And so, yeah. So when you see the stock market rebound in this way, and like, we haven't seen Q2 numbers, uh, people are in fact spending less, um, you know, and, uh, uh, it, it just, it feels inflated. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's like how much, cause it's really a lot of the tech stocks is what's driving a lot of this. And you know, it's, it's Fang, you know, it's, it's yeah. Facebook, Amazon, Apple, Netflix, Google, it's, they're driving it. But it's, when you even look at those companies, it's like, well, Netflix now has a lot more competition. Things like Disney, people are just on their computers, they're on Twitch, they're on all these other things. They're all vying for attention. And yeah. If you look at Google, it's like, are, are they really, are people really going to be spending as much on ads as they were over the next year? I mean, maybe some of that television budget kind of moves into digital, but are they going to capture all of it? Mm -hmm. And then, you know, Facebook, same thing. And it's like, how big can Amazon really be? Right? Like people are even now, cause Amazon's taking so long to deliver. They're still, they're going back to Best Buy and buying stuff. It's like, Whoa, never, I never didn't think I was going to buy anything from Best Buy ever again. And so I think it's a weird right. thing because that's now those stocks are now, 30% of the market cap of the S&P 500, something silly like that. And then they're also 30% of the trading volume. I mean, people give Bitcoin shit because it's like, hey, it's 60% of the market cap. Like it's the only thing. Like what about like none of this other stuff and it's too small. It's like, well, you're, you're telling me the entire US economy is about only you know 30% of it's written on these other five companies. So I think there's a huge disconnect and it's like how big can Apple really get? Right. Yeah. And it's like people just keep dumping money into these tech stocks because they think it's the future. And I, I just don't know if it's sustainable based on the earnings and based on, I mean, these, these airlines are putting up zeros and, you know, Apple's going to take a hit. Some of these companies are going to take earnings hits, but it's almost like the invest, the market doesn't care. You know, they just know that there's trillions of dollars of backstop and they're just going to keep going. But 
I mean, I was wrong. I, you know, hourly, I was wrong. I, I was started shorting like much earlier than I probably should have. And I was wrong, you know, and I didn't think it could run that far, but it did um, because of the amount of backstop. But I just, there's a lot of people unemployed and consumer spending is a huge portion of GDP, you know, and I just don't see consumer spending the way that they have been spending for, for much longer. Yeah. Well, I think like a good analogy of all this too is, um, in, you know, a lot of people that, uh, like sports. Right. And so I was, I was listening to something or watching something about, um, the NBA and they were talking about how like the NBA is going to have to significantly reduce salaries or renegotiate with players. And it's interesting because it's like a, a new CBA, which is their contract, um, for the association. But what they were saying that I thought was really interesting that you can put across to every single market is that they're like, what people don't realize is 40% of the revenue that comes into the NBA is from um, games, like people going to the actual game and yeah. um, like everything like that's revolved around that. Like, and so it was like, holy cow, when you think about it. And so in that perspective, because you imagine an arena, right? And you imagine like that. And so you take that across every single industry and it's like, you know, there's, there's ways that a lot of these companies, you know, were in fact getting revenue. And as much as we want to say like, well, that's going online, people are frankly just spending less, you know, like there's like, I don't spend on gas, you know, cars, none of that kind of stuff. And um, yeah, we eat at home all the time. Like we actually haven't been doing uh, takeout um, or anything like that. So, you know, been, been learning how to cook a couple of things. I've had to buy a couple like staples that like kind of like serve the, uh, like the feel that I want. Like, so I like tartar sauce and I like French fries. When I, but I, there's nothing I would ever have at home. But like, if I go and I eat a burger at a restaurant, I'll, I'll be like, Hey, can I have, you know, a side of tartar sauce with the fries? So I learned, we learned how to make, uh, like wedge cut fries and like, they're awesome. Right. And so I was like, well, let's get some tartar sauce. Anyways, yeah. it just, a, just a silly example of like, you know, people have resolve and, you know, kind of figure it out. And so if they have the resolve to figure out how they're going to do things on their own, um, yeah. What does that mean for business? How does business change? How does it evolve? how do our habits, our habits change, you know, all that. Yeah. And that it's, it's good. And you're learning new things. And I think everyone needs to learn new things. And, you know, I'm learning new things all the time. I'm learning, you know, my wife's learning how to cut my hair. Right. And she <laughs> like, she feels like she screws up. I'm like, you're doing a pretty good job. I mean, you know, like, and you know, you learn all this, all these new things. And I think the rest of it, like everyone in this economy needs to learn those things. And yeah. it's like, I just, everyone's like, Hey, let's get back to work. Let's get back to work. And I'm kind of thinking to myself, well, I think the people that are currently at work are going to be people that are going to be working into the future. And yeah. the rest of the people are going to have to reorient themselves a little bit to find something because specifically restaurants, it's like restaurants are not built to social distance period bars, yeah. restaurants, no. restaurants, most of them don't even make it. And so now you're telling them to social distance and only have 30 to 40% of their revenue. No no restaurant will be able to survive in that atmosphere. Right. So it's like, how long can they sustain on the PPP loans? That's going to dry up very soon. You know, the, and the PPP loans have created all sorts of like ridiculous incentives, like things like, Hey, I need to now hire back other people that like even a lower wage, you know, because I fired them or something happened and, you know, or, Hey, I'm going to like, you know, like some of I'm hearing some stories about people that are saying, Hey, I'm trying to get people like, you know, it's, I don't, I, I've heard from the airlines, I don't know, it's kind of anecdotal, but rumors of people saying that, 
hey, I'm not being treated very badly so that I'll quit my job. Um, and so that the company gets to keep their PPP loan. So it's like they just push this stuff in so quickly and all these incentives that were made. But yeah, I mean, to kind of get back to your point a little bit, everyone's going to need to learn something new and the economy is going to need to change. And these, you know, that's, that's the only bad thing about propping up like the zombie economy like we did in 2008 is that there's not as much innovation. Sure, there's innovation and there's people that come out of it. But the point of these rise and fall, rises and falls are to really innovate and yeah. come up with a new way and it catapults us into this new way of working and living. I mean, we've solved the traffic problem, right? Yeah. No one ever thought we'd ever solve a traffic problem. How do you solve that? Never like Elon's been just busting his ass trying to figure it out. And finally it's like, Oh, Hey, what if we just like stayed at home a little bit? Cause we don't need to be going to the office. It's like, it's a big deal. Yeah. Well, in kind of on that point, like there's been different companies or, or sorry, countries and cities that have implemented those sort of things. Like you can't drive into the city on certain days or whatever. And yeah, this is just an accelerated, um, you know, version of that overall. Yeah. I, I think that, um, you know, to a point that you made earlier about like propping up like the uh, airlines and things like that is that, yeah, maybe some of them did have to fail because they're, it's going to sound messed up to say, but like, they're just not needed anymore. Right. And so meaning like if there, if less people are going to travel and so you're propping up a zombie thing. And so instead of perhaps investing in the tools or resources that are needed to go to this next level. And so it's, it's, it's hard, you know, I, I don't have the answers and obviously, obviously we can't figure this out. You and I are not going to solve this, but um, <laughs> it is definitely fun to talk about. I just wish that, um, yeah. And perhaps it's because we're startup people, right. That have, um, you know, built companies and, you know, have, you know, gone without pay for long periods of time and like not known where money is coming from. Like to me, that's why, that's why it feels so crazy also. Right. It's like, can't you just like figure this out? Right. Can't you just like try to figure something out within yourself? So, um, yeah. Yeah. We'll no, I, I think it's a good point. And, you know, it's like we're always trying as an entrepreneur you're always just trying to solve things you're trying to solve problems almost to like a like a point that's like too much you know yeah. like whenever I, I remember talking to my sister a long time ago and she had she came to me with a problem and i'm just like well try this try this try this she's try this and she's like i don't i just want you to listen <laughs> <laughs> yeah. i want you to hear what i have to say and that was actually a pretty valuable lesson too because it's like you know you get more of the story before you're kind of jumping to a conclusion of how to solve sure. something but it's like, I think in this, in this world and this, all of these changes, it's, this is a psychological thing for a lot of people that no one ever thought, I mean, like people don't even remember the Australian wildfires, like th that happened this year. Like it was only like 65 days ago, you know, totally. so like, slammed everyone with this yeah. new, what do we do? And so it's like, you just have to get it out. And I think it's important. Yeah. We thought we were going to go to a war with Iran. Like that's not happening. <laughs> it's just crazy. Yeah. Totally different. Man, well, Joe, this has been a great conversation. Uh, question I want to end with is one that I ask everybody, and that is, uh, what question do you have that you would like to ask our listeners that they can think about as they go about their day? Just about their day? Or just in, in life, life lesson, anything. What, what kind of question do you have for them? Well, what? tell me, what, what's the demographic of the listener, and then I can curtail that. <laughs> anything tech, finance, and people like you and me. How about that? <laughs> well maybe i'll leave one for uh maybe some of the a uh, little bit younger crowd especially with the the kids that are coming out of college right now or maybe kids that don't even want to go back to college 
um, because they don't want to spend the money and waste it on like e-learning and they're losing out on the experience. I would say really think about risk, um, you know, and how, you know, a lot of people are like, hey, I want to get a good job. I want to do this and I want to get a career, you know, really think about starting your own thing. And especially when you're younger and identifying that, you know, there's a lot less risk involved than you think. And the reward on the other side of creating something, I mean, you're going to learn more in a year of trying to do your own thing than most people learn in five, six, seven years of working at a company, just doing one thing. And so when, even if it happens that you need to go get a job after that, you're going to be heads and shoulders above all the other candidates. And people are really going to love the fact that you are an entrepreneur and that you tried something because they know that you're, you're open-minded, you're going to listen, you're trying to figure stuff out. So I would just say, really think about risk and really, and feel that, you know, you're, you're going to need a lot less money when you're a little bit younger and you're going to kind of waver and you can sleep on couches and you can do all these other things. So I would say, just think about, think about an idea, you know, Shopify is like you mentioned earlier, it's like, you can spin up a product for $60 a month or less, you know, in mm-hmm. 45 days, you don't even need to make the product, just design it and put it out there, do a Kickstarter, do anything. And you're going to learn. So I would say that's my, that's my advice to everyone. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, your, the, your tolerance for risk usually for most people goes down as you age, right? Cause you have more responsibility and so forth. So it shouldn't. I, it shouldn't. I, don't, I don't think you should either, but for most people, it definitely does. Yeah. Um, Awesome. Well, Joe, what are some good ways that people can uh, stay in touch with you or uh, follow you and so forth? I would say just follow us at, at Lunar Crush on Twitter or LunarCrush.com. It's free to sign up right now. It's going to be free. You know, what the, all the tools that we have will be free forever. So don't worry. It's like we're going to add some other cool stuff that eventually you have to pay for. But what you see is what you get. So go sign up for Lunar Crush. Awesome. Awesome. Thanks so much for for joining us. Uh, Everybody, thank you for listening to another episode of the TF Podcast. Again, please make sure that you are subscribed uh, across our various channels uh, and also make sure that you're following uh, us at at TF Blockchain as well as myself at at JG Product. Uh, If you like this episode, please make sure to uh, fill in those stars. Uh, It goes a long way. Uh, as we continue to uh, get up the podcast charts and love it if you could share with your friends and family. Uh, Thanks a lot and we'll see you all soon.